Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 5th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Welcome back from your trip to Boston. God love you. Did you uh, did you mm. see anything uh, anything theatrical up there? No, no. Uh, the only thing I, I thought you thought... went to a wedding. <laughs> 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 yes, I did go to a wedding. Uh, <laughs> fine, you know, best damn wedding I've seen in years. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to uh, hear your voice and have you back. Thank you. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. <laughs> so, Michael, uh, it's the most wonderful time of year now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so what is that a lead into? You're going to have to help me. <laughs> well, you just, you know, it's it, everybody's very busy. It's the holiday season, officially the holiday season, December 1st uh, to the end of the year. But you have something very special coming up on December 29th, don't you? Yes, for those who are, will be around uh, in that week between Christmas and New Year's, we're doing the Boys from Syracuse in concert at Feinstein's 54 Below on Wednesday, December 29th at 9.45 p.m. And uh, the big hook here is that we have identical twins wow. <laughs> playing the roles of the I identical twin Antiphilus brothers. Uh, <laughs> these are the Drinkwater brothers, uh, John and Matthew. And I've known them for a while, and I, I always thought how great it would be to... to put them in this show we, we we did not have the resources to do a complete full production anywhere but we're going to do a concert version of the show uh with with some dialogue and and the entire score uh basically the entire score at 54 below and uh i think that's going to be great also we didn't get um another set of twins for the other set of <laughs> twins in the show the dromeos but we're gonna hopefully deal with that in a very creative fashion and uh it's such a great show i I'm, i decided to bill it as the 83rd anniversary concert <laughs> because you know because we don't usually celebrate years other than the zeros and the fives but on the other hand as uh, you know as um as i pointed out if anything after 50 and certainly anything after 75 i think it's okay to to celebrate every year and well, in a, 
it, eight, the, eight's a round number in a manner of speaking. So, and three could become an eight. So, um, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah I'll look at it numbers. that way. Yeah. <laughs> but in addition to uh, John and Matt, we have we have really a really great cast. We have Leah Horowitz, Katie Dixon, our own Jay Aubrey Jones, one of our stalwart oh, listeners mm. and and uh, trivia answerers here. Mm, uh, Ken, Kenny mm. Rotz, Janet Finale, Paula Leggett Chase has just oh, joined oh, wonderful. us. Wonderful, yeah, She's terrific. Uh, Sarah Di Pasquale and special appearances by Christine Petty and Steve Ross. Mm. So wow. I think what a night. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, so join us if you can. And join um, Food for Thought tomorrow if you can. Uh, December 6th, uh, 2 o'clock. Um, I can't remember anything. The Arthur Miller play mm. and Blythe Danner. Oh, yes. This year going to be doing it. So that's going to be a theater 80 St. Mark's. And um, I think it's worthwhile to attend. Susan Charlotte's organization keeps going no matter what happens. Uh, She did shows during COVID and um, and she's still here. And so is the organization. And so Mm -hmm. is theater 80 St. Mark's, at least for the moment. We'll see what happens there. There's a lot of talk about that place uh, going under um, because of, um, I think, real estate things. But anyway, think about it. You know, tomorrow, uh, two o'clock, I'll be there. We'll see if you're there, too. I read that and, you know, stage appearances by Blythe Danner are very rare. Yeah, indeed. So that alone would be a reason to go. Sure, sure. (laughs) So uh, we don't talk about Syracuse University very often, uh, (laughs) but they have a great theatrical program, a great great media program. I wonder, Michael, do you have anybody that went to Syracuse and the boys from Syracuse? (laughs) Oh, I don't think so, but I I pointed out to the cast uh, yesterday, for those who didn't already know it, that the the whole – even the title of the show is an in-joke. You bet. Because the mm-hmm. Schubert brothers mm-hmm. were from Syracuse. And so in, even you know, in 1938, if you said the boys from Syracuse on Broadway, that's exactly what people would think of. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, and there's a lot of lo- other little in jokes in the show that uh, that is still people still get, even though, as I say, it's 83 <laughs> years old. Uh, so ready for this transition? You all okay. holding on? Yeah. Yes. You know who else went to Syracuse? Who? Robert Diamond, the founder and owner of Broadway World. Oh. Uh-huh. And working at Broadway World is Michael Dale, who's got a birthday today. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Michael. And everybody should get over to Broadway World and uh, read Michael's Sunday morning columns because they are a mainstay and a must read for mm. anybody that's mm-hmm. interested in, in Broadway and theater. Well, he's one of the best. No question. Yeah. So, Peter, yeah, <laughs> you got over to see uh, the new musical based upon the movie of Mrs. Doubtfire. So tell us, what did you think about this? Well, is there anything, anything that Rob McClure cannot do? Yeah. I am telling you, uh, this is, uh, again, I say this from time to time, I've seen um, 80 to 90% of the Broadway musicals of the last 60 years. And I would definitely put this performance in the top 10 of uh, male performances uh, leading a musical that I've ever, ever seen. Wow. Um, I mean, all right. You know, he wow, can that's sing. Amazing. He can dance. Uh, <laughs> he can act. He can break dance. 
He can do different voices, and which is a requirement here, because uh, the whole point is, is that Daniel Hilliard is a voiceover artist. And that's a very smart thing that the original screenwriters put in, because, of course, he's going to have to adopt a very different voice when he becomes Mrs. Doubtfire. And, of course, he has the best of intentions when he becomes Mrs. Doubtfire, because he's going through a divorce. And it looks like he's going to lose custody of his kids because he doesn't have a job. And um, also because he does seem irresponsible and he doesn't have a nice place to live and what have you. So um, he's really, as they say, got to get his act together. But the act he gets together is Mrs. Doubtfire as he becomes the nanny. And the point is, um, at first, the kids, of course, especially the oldest daughter, is resistant to the nanny. Uh, but everybody comes to love the nanny. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that um, they love the nanny as much as they love their father. No, and that's a very good thing that uh, shows up here. But certainly the wife does. Um, and um, But I'll tell you, I watched the movie just before going to see the musical, which is the type of thing I always do. And I'm very impressed, very impressed indeed, at how much the, um, the writers, um, Kerry Kilpatrick, John O'Farrell, um, did in uh, deepening it because there's far more emotion here in the second act than there is in the movie. One of the things that happens is um, she, the wife, makes her her um, feelings known in a nostalgic song about what they used to have, which is very nice. And also, he has an apology to her that is so wonderfully written and so heartfelt. I truly believe that any husband who's getting divorced, who believes that he was basically responsible for the divorce, should learn this speech because it is so beautifully written. So while the musical um, seems to just be replicating the movie in the first act, by and large, um, in the second act, it really, really comes into its own. And so I think it's really very, very special there. Um, one, one of the nice things, that a little detail that wasn't in the movie, is that he bonds with this, his son, I'm talking about as Mrs. Doubtfire now, um, by pointing out that um, he, he likes a certain video game. And the kid says, that's my favorite. Well, of course, the father would know that. You know, so that's a very uh, telling detail. I think <laughs> it's really very, very smart um, to put in. Um, I do question one thing that's overlooked in both the movie and the musical. Uh, there's a big thing about the fact we're going to have to see your pay stubs to, to ensure that you have a job. Mm-hmm. Well, he has a brother uh, who has um, a, 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 he works in dresses and makeup and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the brother and the brother's boyfriend could very well give him the pay stubs, I would think. You know, so um, I don't know uh, what the problem is there. Um, and now, it's really up to date because <laughs> I do believe this is the first musical to ever use Siri. And hmm. Sirius asks questions, yes, indeed, and comes through with a, a lot of answers. So that saves a lot of time. We are definitely right here and now. And one of the things I was very interested in was to see how they would handle a speech at the end where Mrs. Doubtfire is now a TV star and takes letters from children. And the ch- one, somebody writes in and says, look, um, my family's getting divorced, so he's still a family. And um, Mrs. Doubtfire says, oh, there are many different types of families. And, um, and in this one, they add families with two mummies and families with two daddies. That's not in the movie. So I think that's uh, quite nice. I expected it, frankly. But um, but um, ha, uh, what else can I say? Um, oh, uh, again, back to Rob McClure. Um, another skill that he has that is so wonderful. You can't buy this. You have to have this in you. I guess experience helps, too. But you have to have this in you. This guy knows exactly how 
long to wait when indeed an audience laughs before <laughs> starting again. I mean, he does it, it pinpoint calibration. And the thing is, um, the show is a lot longer than you might think because you have to wait for those laughs and the laughs are plentiful. Mm. So there's plenty of that going on. I, you know, in a way, I felt bad with the standing ovation, which started immediately as uh, the chorus came out for their curtain calls. I wanted that standing ovation to be for Rob, Rob, Rob McClure alone. And I, I guess that's um, kind of uh, selfish. But um, the point is, he really needs to know um, that he, he's so terrific. I mean, he knows and he should know. And everybody's telling him that. And um, I think that's something. But um, all in all, while the music may not be my type of music um, or memorable music, um, the lyrics are fine. Uh, and um, they're very incisive. So I think that that's um, very, very um, effective. Also, it's very effective with towards the end of the show when, um, well, he, as you may recall from the movie, he's unmasked by his two kids uh, very quickly and uh, two out of the three kids. The um, and what happens is because the kids know who he is, of course, there's a lot of onus on them when they all go out to dinner. Uh, and the daughter eventually confronts him with a very good line. You get to see your kids, but we don't get to see our dad. We get to see a character. And that's, I think, a very, very fine line. And it's not one that's in the movie. So I think that's um, a very, very skillful writing. I like that quite a bit. There's a dream ballet. Who thought we'd have that? And for those of us who had a problem in the movie, <laughs> especially my girlfriend, Linda, when um, he's, he's being interviewed for a job and he's being interviewed for a job at the same restaurant where he's going to have dinner with um, the family and the wife's new boyfriend. And um, the thing is, he has to switch from being uh, the father, uh, Daniel Hilliard, addressed as a man and Mrs. Doubtfire dressed as a woman. So he would go into the men's room and change. Um, he'd have to do that lickety split. It's much smarter here to have the brother and the brother's boyfriend help him get into whatever costume he needs to be in next. That's very, very smart. You know, it takes because it saves time. And in the movie, there's an inordinate uh, length of time where he has to do it. But here it's far, far better. Now, I think that's really, really, really good. So um, very smart. A lot of, you know, these people really watch this movie. They really paid attention to what's going on. Um, there's also an entertainer at the restaurant who sings a song that essentially comments on what's going on. I'm not going to give away more than that. But um, it did remind me of the fact that uh, originally, Hello Dolly was supposed to have that happen, that um, there was going to be an entertainer coming out and singing The Man in the Moon is a Lady. In case you thought that was written for Mame, no, that was supposed to be in the restaurant scene of Hello Dolly. So um, perhaps it's all uh, for the best that it didn't um, turn out that way. So anyway, there's a lot more heart in the show, and I think that's really, really special. But... But my heart bleeds for whoever the understudy is for Rob McClure, <laughs> because not only does he have the unenviable task of uh, taking over for this, what is truly going to be a legendary performance, but also the fact that he's going to have to do it at a moment's notice, presumably. Rob, don't get sick. Um, take all the medicines you need. Take all the rest you need. You certainly do need a lot of rest. No question about that. And um, anybody who wants to stage door at matinees, 
Uh, I assume he's going to be resting in his dressing room on the cot and maybe even getting oxygen because <laughs> this is, you know, think about a Robin Williams <laughs> take 17, take 22, take 31. You know, that could be happening. I don't know. Maybe he did straight. You know, I mean, who knows? But Rob has to do it live and on stage. And boy, does he ever do it. So uh, uh, Rob McClure has been such a, a wonderful and giving person all throughout the Broadway uh, community. And we've had, we've had him on Broadway radio here such a number of times. And uh, I'll have a link to all of his interviews in the show notes if you want to get back to it. This is uh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire's playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Peter, mm, any, anything yeah. interesting about that as you went this week? <laughs> Um, um, of course, it was in our minds, but th there was no announcement or anything like that. I, I, I suspect there was um, um, a, a week ago, Friday, I suspect. I'm, I didn't hear that there was, but no, there was nothing uh, specific about that at all. And for those who haven't heard, um, the lights of Broadway will be dimmed this Wednesday, mm -hmm. uh, the 8th at 7 p.m., correct? Yeah, yeah the, all, uh, all the all the theaters, yeah. Yeah, all, and, yes, all yeah, the, and the And the irony is <clears throat> a lot of people are saying, which theater should we be at? And well. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and the, the majority seems to say uh, the Winter Garden, because uh, that's where West Side Story started. That's why West Side Story returned after um, it went on the road for a while. Uh, that's where Pacific Overtures was. But more to the point, yes, you know the word I'm going to say next, <laughs> follies. <laughs> so um, uh, the Cognoscenti seem to uh, say they're going to be at the Winter Garden. <laughs> uh, and... Um uh, insofar as stage dooring, I think the official stance for, for Broadway is that there's no stage dooring uh, right now until right. further notice. Right. So uh, don't yeah, be waiting I, for anybody at the right, stage right. door, much less Rob McClure. Yeah, um, uh, I forgot that. You're quite right. <laughs> Michael, uh, we had an update on Josh Ellis's story on Sondheim and the pronunciation. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I told two things uh, which were not completely accurate. So let me clarify. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, well, the story, the Josh Ellis story is that um, the the song Last Midnight went into into the woods at the very last minute and uh, to the point where the, the title of the song was phoned in to Playbill <laughs> and they got it wrong. Uh, and it was typed as Lost Midnight. Uh, and so they, they printed however many 10,000 playbills uh, <laughs> with, the, with the wrong. And, and so Josh uh, had, had to let Sondheim know, because uh, Josh was on the press team. He, he was the one who had to let Sondheim know. And he said, he said um, well, we could take Sharpies and correct 10,000 playbills. You know, I could have my staff do that. Or we could just wait till, um, you know, the next pressing. So what should we do? And Sondheim said, get out the Sharpies. Um, mm -hmm. Well, uh, I said that I thought, you know, I assumed Sondheim was joking, but believe it or not, they did it. Yeah, <laughs> they, they wow. did it. And, you know, I have a I have an Into the Woods playbill somewhere and I went on a critics night. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to see if I can find it and, and see if that little Sharpie addition, uh, <laughs> you know, was made to turn the O into an A because mm -hmm. uh, uh, that would be a little collector's item, wouldn't it? Mm hmm. 
Uh, and then the other thing was, uh, just to clarify, I said that I had I was under the strong impression that Sondheim Sondheim or Sondheim's last name should be pronounced without the H aspirated because everybody I know who's worked very closely with him says Sondheim. Uh, but I uh, uh, only one of those people was available uh, to, for me to ask him, uh, which I should have done beforehand. And I, I said, did, did you know, do you say it that way? Because Son, Sondheim or anyone <laughs> else has ever made the point. And he said, oh, no, I just I just hear it that way. He said, I don't hear a, an aspirated H in it at all. And I said, oh, all right. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, but uh, there are, you know, so the fact remains that a few people I know do say Sondheim uh, rather than Sondheim. But that may just come down to uh, the way that some people pronounce aspirated H's, uh, you know. Uh, and so I guess it's not as definitive as I thought. And it it doesn't seem as if Sondheim ever said to anyone, oh, you know, it's Sondheim, not Sondheim. We were um, <laughs> we were talking, I'm not sure, because we've talked so much about Stephen Sondheim in the last week or so. I'm not sure if it was on the show with Jenna or or with Matt or for some, some other thing. But uh, we were saying that we hoped that somebody would pull together all of the Sondheim letters mm. that he had sent together, uh, sent out to people, and somebody did it. So the Sondheim uh, letters are, are on Instagram, and you can oh, click that's through great. and see all of these things. I'll include that in the show notes so that you can check that out. It's really, really I just you know, talk about spending hours of just uh, going down a rabbit hole and reading all these really wonderful notes. So, uh, God, that's yeah. going to crash the system because I mean, he wrote so many. He so many. <laughs> I, I don't know if he did in later years, but boy, um, early on, mm -hmm. he certainly answered everybody. Did you guys uh, happen to hear Jesse Green on the New York Times podcast, The Daily? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jesse Green was interviewed about his relationship with Sondheim. Uh, which was very interesting. It was a really wonderful, touching story. Uh, I'll dig it up and put a note in the, uh, a link to it in the show notes. Okay. Uh, basically, Jesse Green. Uh, 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 I'm forgetting the details. I think he did an Into the Woods. Uh -huh. uh, I think it was in Into the Woods when he was okay. in high school or something like that. Uh -huh. And Sondheim wrote him a note, uh, and that began a very long relationship with Sondheim. Mm -hmm. uh, and wow. Jesse Green at the New York Times. So I remember in the seventies when I had heard that he had written "Don't Laugh" for the musical Hotspot, and I don't remember where I got the address. I don't anything like that. But anyway, I did write him and say, um, "Is it true that you actually wrote this song for this musical that you had no other association with?" Not only did he answer, he sent me the photocopy sheet music of "Don't Laugh." Mm. So I mean, you know, that's going the extra mile. Needless to say, yeah, he uh, he he sent me a, a copy of uh, "No One Has Ever Loved Me from Passion." Mm. It was just uh, really uh, uh, he just we totally went out of his way all mm -hmm, the time mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. just to do that. I mean, for for no yeah, for <laughs> no no benefit other than to the recipient, not to him. 
No benefit to Stevenson. Well, I will say this. I won't be saying, you know, he was famous for um, procrastinating and avoiding work. And I wonder if we serve that purpose. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I've always thought that, you know, <laughs> that uh, we filled that need, you know. So uh, God knows how many more shows there would have been if all of us had just left him alone. <laughs> oh, I never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. <laughs> Maybe I have a new way of procrastinating now. I could send written notes That's out right. to everybody. That's what I could do. So uh, all this talk about Mr. Sondheim makes mm-hmm. us uh, gives us a good lead in uh, back to the beginning, mm-hmm. where Michael got to see the West Side Story movie in a uh, press preview. Yes, uh, it, Michael, did you see it twice or did you see it once? I- oh no, just once. But I'll definitely I'll be seeing it multiple times. <laughs> so tell us about uh, your thoughts about the West Side Story movie. Well, the whole thing is just miraculous, you know. I mean, first of all, as we mentioned before, the film was supposed to open about a year ago Mm. and was delayed due to COVID. Um, But because of that, the new one has opened almost exactly 60 years after the original film, Mm -hmm. which opened in 1961. And uh, so that's kind of amazing how an act of... God or whatever, uh, what's that word? Uh, Active nature, uh, uh, you know, something completely unplanned has resulted in that synchronicity. I I think that's amazing. And uh, I I was thinking that you could say that the uh, people are receiving this film with a combination of relief and elation because Mm -hmm. it could have been so bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and as happens sometimes when there are uh, revivals or film remakes uh, of old properties, if they're not done well, then often people will say, oh, you know, this was never really any good to begin with. Uh, I remember that happened with um, uh, Once Upon a Mattress. That's uh, just the one thing that pops into my head, but also, you know, all of these other TV TV, uh, live TV shows. I, I didn't see any, by the way, so I can't comment on that. I didn't either. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, there's uh, like the, this whole revisionist, oh, it's really not that good to be. No, it's really great. It's a classic. It's just mm-hmm. that these new mm-hmm. people didn't do it mm-hmm. well. Well, this is just, it's just great. Um, I, uh, the, the trepidation I had about it uh, did turn out to be true, but it's only a, a minor thing. Uh, I think it is a little overwritten by Tony Kushner. Um, there are, are, as I've said a few times to friends, uh, literally only about three or four lines retained from the original uh, show script and and the and the movie script, which are uh, largely largely the same. Um, and those lines are <laughs> Teodoro Anton, Teodoro Maria. <laughs> Uh, womb to tomb, sperm to worm. And then um, in Maria's final speech, there are one or two lines that are either exactly the same or paraphrases. Uh, so, but other than that, it's, it's, it's kind of odd. Uh, it's kind of disorienting in a way because you're seeing the same scenes, but with completely different dialogue. Uh, and then there are some other changes as far as the songs moved around and things like that. Uh, but that's not the first time that has happened either. If you watch the um, 1951 showboat, uh, I don't think there's any dialogue hardly from the original showboat. And there are a few other examples. Paint Your Wagon, I think. I've, ne- I've never really seen that whole, whole film. So it's not 
it's not the first time it's happened, but it's kind of unusual. Um, I have so many notes. Uh, I'm just going to randomly read through. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can take everything for what it's worth. Uh, Tony has an interesting backstory in this film. He has already been to prison for wow. a year <laughs> for almost killing someone in a fight. And I think that really helps, uh, you know, credibility as far as him being uh having been the leader of the jets and the one that they turn to also it helps that ansel elgord is very tall and quite well built Mm -hmm. uh so it's uh you know something you didn't necessarily get from richard beamer Mm -hmm. um and that that's a really great thing and that that fleshes out his character uh maria has a job she works at gimbal's Mm -hmm. on the cleaning staff and this has allowed um the uh i feel pretty is now sung at Gimbal's after hours while all of the Puerto Rican women on the cleaning staff are about to clean up. And that allows, you know, Maria to play among the, uh, the mm-hmm. dresses and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful thing. And by the way, uh, look, um, keep your eyes open because you'll see Andrea Burns, oh. uh, who has played Maria on stage in many productions as the uh, sort of uh, the doyen of, of these uh, of these women, these cleaning women in that scene. Um, there has been a gradual fleshing out of the Puerto Rican characters in West Side Story from the original show to the original movie to the current movie, especially the male characters, um, the male Puerto Rican characters. If uh, when uh, when you see a stage production of West Side Story after seeing the movie, the original movie, uh, many people are surprised at how tiny the role of Bernardo is. Uh, well, it it grew substantially mm-hmm. uh, when George Shakiris played it in the original film because Ernest Lehman, the script script writer, fleshed it out there. And now Tony Kushner has really fleshed it out. Bernardo is now a boxer, uh, someone who's trying to be a a professional boxer. Mm -hmm. And so that fleshes out his character. And there's a lot of discussion of... uh, of him, you know, trying to just his worldview as opposed to Maria's. Uh, what else? Uh, uh, at the dance at the gym, uh, Maria and Tony lay eyes on each other as they do in the original. But um, then they uh, sort of end up behind the bleachers. Uh, and that's where they have their first meeting. And it, it's a lovely little touch because it kind of removes them. Uh, from the rest of the group without doing that fuzzy screen thing mm-hmm. that, that they did in the original movie. Um, uh, oh, one, one flaw in, the, in this movie, I, I'm sorry to say, and I think this is Rita Moreno's fault because she has gone on and on about how she supposedly made them change the lyrics in the first movie because she didn't want to sing nasty things about Puerto, Puerto Rico. Um, mm-hmm. So now she sings uh, the verse that originally was sung by Marilyn Cooper in this show, she sings Puerto Rico, you lovely island, island of tropical breezes, always the pineapples growing, always. The... So she's not singing anything negative. She's singing positively about Puerto Rico. But then she goes into the rest of the song, which is about how she's she's glad she's in America, not in Puerto Rico anymore. So that's a little flaw that that didn't. She doesn't it. play it as if she's being sarcastic. At the beginning. No, not at all. Oh, That's uh-huh. the thing. Okay. No, right. she's, she mm-hmm. comes out on a balcony and she seems she's all misty eyed. And I, so, yeah, I think Rita 
had a hand in that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, when Tony and M- Maria meet on the fire escape in tonight, he can't immediately get to her because this fire escape is locked. Part of it is locked. Mm-hmm, so he's mm-hmm. below her and he can't get up. And then finally he just hauls himself up. And I thought that was a wonderful little metaphor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for him, not them, not being able to be, together mm-hmm. um cory stoll plays shrank uh really well brian darcy james is officer krupke um uh what else uh josh andres rivera plays chino and that may be the most fleshed out character of all um i checked uh, none of the jet names are actually said in the movie necessarily but i checked and they all have character names including some new ones such as balkan uh, skink, number, and little moly. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I don't know where Kushner got those from, but whatever. Um, <laughs> cool is now done at an abandoned pier, and cool is now mostly Tony's song. Is it? Hmm. Um, is Bernardo, it really? Have they switched back to the uh, stage um, configuration where cool uh, comes first and Krupke later? Correct. Well, uh-huh. cool is earlier. Krupke is more or less in the in the place it is. I see. Krupke is mm-hmm. also it's Krupke is not after the murders. It's before okay. The murders. Good. Good. Um, yeah. In the in the film, um, Bernardo gets his uh, I'm sorry, Riff purchases a gun and mm-hmm. we see him purchasing a gun from like this old Westy Irish type guy mm-hmm. uh, in Hell's Kitchen. And that's a really great scene. And mm-hmm. so Tony sings cool to riff as a way of saying, you know, don't use the gun. You have to just calm down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then riff does sing a little bit of it, but it's mostly Tony's number. Uh, and riff also in the, in the film, uh, Krupke is done at the station house where the jets have been hauled down to the station house, but riff is not in that number. So his only real vocal number is the jet song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really, that's, interesting uh mike feist is great as riff anyway he really has a a wonderful characterization um i i i can't praise him enough uh all of the music has been retained even some of the ballet music from the somewhere ballet which is not in the movie somewhere Mm -hmm. is now sung as a solo by rita moreno playing Mm. valentina who is the widow of doc uh, so they are supposed to have been sort of a precursor, precursor to Tony and Maria with their uh, oh. their interracial or whatever their intercultural relationship, uh, and that's done b- very beautifully. But there's no somewhere ballet, but the music is used as a underscoring in in a montage scene, and that's beautiful. Um, and uh, you know, I I could go on and on, but I I think I, I realize I'm I'm, I'm there's so much I could say about it because it's so brilliantly done. The acting, the direction, the uh, the orchestration sound virtually uh, unchanged from the originals. Oh. Just slight little tweaks. And, you know, of course, some of the keys aren't the same, although I think most of the keys are the same as the film, not the original cast album. And Gustavo Dudamel uh, is conducting the L.A. Philharmonic, I believe. Uh, it's gorgeous. I can't wait to get my hands on the full soundtrack album. Just just a real, real miraculous, against all odds, uh, reinterpretation of this classic, classic piece of musical theater. 
Okay, one of the flaws I've always felt with West Side Story is the language like um, mm. the spit hits the fan and um, all that. Have the lyrics been profaned? Uh, well, no, they didn't profane them. And I forget if he sings spit hits the fan or do what they can, which is what's in the original movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there's, not a, there's no frabba jabba. There's uh, no cracko jacko. My, ne- my next question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Does action still say where the devil are they? Um. No, I don't think so. Oh, and one thing, uh, there's one more thing, uh, if you'll indulge me. Uh, They have made a change that actually fixes a problem I've always had with the timeline of the original. In the original, uh, Riff says to the Jets in the Jets song, meet me at the dance at 10. Well, I mean, would a dance for young people people i mean wouldn't it wouldn't it be ending around 10 you know sure sure and 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 because they don't meet him till 10 that that means everything after that happens after tony singing maria and then meeting maria on the balcony uh, Mm -hmm. on the uh uh, fire Mm -hmm. escape is that supposed to be 11 30 you know or even later and then they say uh and then they say uh they have their war council at docks at midnight well what a candy store <laughs> be open mm-hmm. at midnight. So that's yeah, really. all that's all fixed or, or some of it is fixed because mm-hmm. now now uh, America is the next day. Uh, it takes place uh-huh. the next day in daylight on, mm-hmm. on the street uh, rather than on the rooftop on that same night. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I, I just see it. It's uh, everything you've heard about it. Uh, you know, positively <laughs> is is um, is correct. I would say it's 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 a, a brilliant achievement. I don't know anybody who hasn't loved it. Mm. Yeah, uh, we were saying before we started uh, recording that uh, uh, I'm seeing a lot of non-theater people talking about uh, Spielberg for best director and mm-hmm. this uh, best film uh, Oscar. Uh, possibilities. So it's very interesting to see if um, if this West Side Story can live up to um, what you know what everybody is saying about it. Uh, come the award season, which is just around the corner, and um, this would be the first time that a remake gets yes. an Oscar of a best uh, film uh, from a previous mm-hmm. time, right? And the original won ten Oscars, which was. Mm-hmm phenomenal mm-hmm. um and uh wouldn't it be something if rita moreno <laughs> wins again <laughs> yeah so is the part big enough for that to happen I, it's big enough for it to happen yeah mm-hmm. i would say yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh i'm breathing a huge sigh of relief because um mm. i when they first announced this i had terrible terrible fears that michael you were not going to like this mm. and well, that would I think- be <laughs> I think many people had fears that they were going to hate it. And Absolutely. Uh, I know everyone told me how scared they were. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so uh, let's move from one uh, Stephen Sondheim work <laughs> to another one. Um, so, Michael, uh, you just finished up with West Side Story and Peter, you got to see the classic stage company production of Assassins. So tell us about this. Well, um, <laughs> you know, 30 years ago when this uh, showed up, everybody was appalled saying um, you can't do a musical about this. What are you crazy? And yet, you know, think about that famous Frank Lesser uh, statement that uh, in musicals, people sing 
when indeed speech just won't do mm-hmm. that their their emotions are just so high. Well, I mean, you know, if you're an assassin, your emotions are pretty high, aren't they? So as a result, it isn't as strange as we might think. The other thing, um, there's a lyric early on in the show from John Wilkes Booth. They will understand it later. And that's really what's happened with assassins. You know, uh, and I dare say uh, that it's the hottest ticket in town. Now, part of that, of course, is the fact that the classic stage company is a very small space. But um, uh, when, when I was asked to uh, pick a date for press tickets, they said, go to the calendar. And the calendar was the calendar for everybody. And my God, sold out, sold out, sold out. I mean, so many performances were it was it was flabbergasting to me. Um, and of course, they've extended and everybody is so excited that they have. But um, I, I won't be surprised, especially after what happened a week ago, Friday, um, if indeed this does move to Broadway. It certainly deserves to. It's an excellent production. Excellent indeed. Uh, a lot of very, very, very clever and classy touches in it that um, we really um, are so impressed and have to um, appreciate John Doyle for what he uh, has done. Um, at the beginning, you do see um, a flag, the flag that is given um, when somebody dies. Uh, it's in triangular shape. Mm-hmm. And um, that's you know the flag of death we see. And there's certainly going to be a lot of death. I was very nervous at the beginning because uh, the cast was when they came out, they were wearing masks. And I thought, oh, no, I had just gone to Fordham University a few weeks earlier and had seen a cast do a show completely in masks, completely. Um, I understand there's going to be a production of applause at NYU and um, that masks are going to be worn there. So um, I thought, oh, you know, needless to say, I'm not even talking about sound. You lose so much because you don't see expressions Mm -hmm. and it really, really hurts. No. They took off the flags right away, but he uh, masks right away. And that's the interesting thing about him. The masks all had American flags on them. Mm. So it seemed like when they were taking off the masks, they were essentially removing themselves from the country as well. Mm. So I think that was a a very, very effective um, moment. So um, I like that quite a bit. Uh, It's very sad to hear the lyric. The country is not what it was. And um, I think I think that's a line that will not date um, for a while. Stephen Pasquale. Whoa. Uh, such a terrific uh, performance as John Wilkes Booth. Ironically enough, and I, I, he'll probably never forgive me for saying this. I think he looks like Tucker Carlson a lot. So if ever there's a, a musical or a play about Tucker Carlson, sign him up. Um, I'm not saying we might want to see it, but nevertheless, um, should this happen? He's the front runner. I'll tell you that right now. So um, it, it um, everybody's quite fine. You know, I didn't see a weak leak in the cast and I was especially taken with, um, I hope I do this right. Andy Groschelution, who um, indeed is Samuel Bick. He doesn't have a song per se. Um, he's in another national anthem, but he doesn't have his own song. Uh, he has two uh, monologues about um, crashing into the White House to kill Nixon and <clears throat> letters to um, Leonard Bernstein. So he's dictating, uh, wishing that he could know Leonard Bernstein. And um, it's irrational, of course, but you expect irrationality from um, a uh, an assassin. John Weidman told me he actually heard the tapes. And while he had to make the monologue at least seem funny, there was nothing funny about the actual tapes in which Samuel Bick um, gave out his plans. So um, that's um, kind of uh, sad to hear. But what can we expect? So um, 
really how wonderful uh, Tabby Gevinson is as Squeaky Frome, and for that matter, Judy Kuhn as Sarah Jane Moore, especially in the scene with the Colonel Sanders um, bucket of chicken. You know, it was supposed to be a musical of Colonel Sanders' life, by the way. You know that? <laughs> I'm serious. Called Kentucky Lucky. I mean that. Anyway, so um, Ethan um, um, uh, Slater, from uh, whom we know from SpongeBob, certainly has uh, more um, pungent material here than he did there um, because he plays Lee Harvey Oswald and does it quite, quite, um, quite, quite well. And um, Brandon Uranowitz, who was so wonderful in American in Paris. And again, I saw it late in the run and he had to start the show and he really put the energy in that first song that I think everybody else had to match. So, so um, uh, I'm a big fan of um, him and uh, he's very good as Colgosh. So um, a, a name we wouldn't know how to pronounce it for one for assassins. I mean, you look at that name. I mean, would you think that C Z O L G O SZ is pronounced Cold Josh. Well, because we've all listened to the original cast album so much. Oh, the revival cast album. Um, so, um, but anyway, by the time um, Stephen Pasquale says, I'm an actor and I'm a good one. Oh, yeah. That's really, really quite true. And it's so poignant to hear him talk about when he's encouraging Lee Harvey Oswald to kill Kennedy. 50 years from now, they'll still be arguing about the grassy knoll, the Cuban, the person, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's 58 years. And what did I read? There are 4,000, 40,000, 40,000 books written about the Kennedy assassination. I think I read that. I know that sounds impossible. If you check that fact and you find out I'm wrong, I won't be surprised. Um, I think you'll be surprised if it turns out to be true. But I, I, I think when I did research, I found that 40,000 books about the Kennedy assassination. Is that astonishing? So really, in a way, it's inevitable we have a musical, but it's not inevitable. We have a musical that's so good in production and cast and all the rest of it. I hope it moves to Broadway. I really, it really deserves to. And of course, sad to say, because we're in a time where we're really thinking about sound time a lot, that will certainly be a factor that may very well move it to Broadway. And, um, and uh, if we now see more sound time revivals because of what happened, um, that's fine too. Do you know there have been more, Sondheim revivals than there were Sondheim original musicals. Oh, I would I think, think so. I yeah, I think, think so. I think it's something like 17 musicals made it to Broadway and 20 revivals have made it to uh, Broadway. So uh, something like that. Um, uh, I may be off by a figure or two, but you're not surprised to hear that, Michael. Well, no, because the West Side Story alone, you know, I, I mean, alone, uh, but also company and uh, Into yeah, the woods. No, I mean, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah that they add up. They add correct. up. They add up. You know, Peter, but, I'm, um, I'm, but my point is, I don't think that happens with very many um, no. composer lyricists. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm getting at. <laughs> what were you going to ask, Michael? Oh, uh, um, I'm curious. And of course, you don't have to answer. But everyone I know who has seen Assassins, I haven't seen it yet, has raved about Will Swenson. Oh, quite good. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, the, the, um, I should have mentioned Will Swenson. Right. Um, <laughs> I suppose it is um, as uh, Charles Gateau. And um, yeah, he, he's so, so convinced that, um, he <laughs> that he's on the right track, that he really is going to be uh, named ambassador to France. Um, he, he, the fact that he really believes it is so impressive. So, uh, yes, Will Swenson, but the, they're all so good. Um, I don't think there's a week um, 
weak member of the bunch. And I'm not, I don't even think there's somebody you'd say um, she was very good. He was he was very good. Um, you have to use words stronger than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent and terrific are the words to use. And um, and the physical production, while spare, uh, does have imagination as well. And that also goes credit to um, uh, John Doyle, who designed the production and um, the, the way they handled the shooting gallery and all that. And very, very smart. Very smart indeed. So um, so I. Um, Frankly, I hope it moves to Broadway so I can see it again. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a lot of talk that it's going to be coming to Broadway, so we'll have to uh, follow that news as it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about other classic stage company productions that have moved to Broadway, and uh, according to IBDB, there's only been one. Which one was it? I don't know what. I, was, I don't remember any. What? Venus and Fur. Oh, really? That was there? Yeah, I guess it was. It was, you know, the, there are so many different configurations they do there. Um, that um, the uh, t- 2011, 2012 uh, on Broadway. Yeah, uh, and um, I thought that uh, John Doyle's company was a classic stage thing, but it doesn't no, seem I like it was. No, I think he got the wasn't. job after then. I think. No, that yeah. was from Cincinnati. I saw right. that in Cincinnati. Ah. Did you really? Yes, I did. Yeah. Ah, good for you. <laughs> uh, heads up, another thing that apparently I'm hearing is coming to Broadway is Kimberly Akimbo. Oh, yes. yes. Um, uh, it hasn't opened yet or what? Uh, no, I don't okay. think so. All right. Um, then I'll hold off saying how wonderful it is. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll have to remember to come back to the, one, to the wonderful comedy. I think that's going to move. I think that's going to move. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, next up, Michael, you have uh, tw- two quick reviews, one for Clyde's at the Hayes and one from the visitor down at the public. Uh, what did you think of these two productions? And also a third one. I never talked about Diana. Ah, <laughs> okay. But I'll, I'll be very quick. Um, the visitor, I thought there was a lot to like in it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the fact that uh, Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie uh, and uh, there are other collaborators that they, they always, uh, you, you, regardless of how good or, or not you think the shows are, at least they're serious and, mm-hmm. and they're very creative and uh, mm-hmm. they really deserve a tremendous amount of credit for that. That said, I, I think they always, um, uh, the, usually the concepts are, are maybe a little better than the execution. And sometimes there's a little heavy handedness. Um, there, uh, there was a lot of controversy, a lot, a lot of controversy over the show, as you may have read, uh, about the cast, some people involved in the, in the cast and, and the company, uh, uh, objecting to the way that, uh, that certain ethnic groups are represented and, and things like that. And this even led to the leading, well, one of the two leading male characters leaving the production, uh, Ariel Stachel. Uh, uh, so that, that there was, it seems like there was quite a, a ruckus down there at the, uh, at the visitor. And, and it also led to, um, originally the book was credited only to Brian Yorkie, but then they brought in this, uh, fellow Kwame Kwe Arma. Uh, and now it's his book by Kwame Kwe Arma and Brian Yorkie. And an uh, interesting thing about that is uh, while Brian Yorkie still retains that credit, he has no bio 
in the playbill. Now we were talking about this before we started recording and James and uh, well, James suggested that maybe it just that he didn't get, he didn't meet the deadline. <laughs> um, so it could be just that, or it could be um, residual bitterness over uh, the way that um, that changes have been made and someone else was brought on as co-book writer, et cetera. Uh, but really wonderful performances, uh, especially um, David Hyde Pierce. And uh, in the in the role of Tarek replacing Ariel Stachel, this fellow Ahmad Maksud. So I would I would see it, um, you know, for its ambition, even if it's not it didn't turn out all that well. Clyde's is a wonderful, wonderful new play by Lynn Nottage. Uh, I think maybe one of her most entertaining plays. It was lighter in tone than I thought it would be. Certainly there are some several serious moments, but there are a lot of laughs as well. Uh, beautifully directed by Kate Worski. Uh, wonderful performances by Uzoa Duba, Ron Cephas Jones, who has one of the most beautiful speaking voices I've ever heard on on Broadway or anywhere else. Edmund Donovan, um, uh, a really acclaimed young actor, Reza Salazar and Carrie Young. Uh, uh, check that out. It's about this uh, these people working in a, a sandwich shop, a, a diner type place, and they're all uh, they're all ex cons, uh, and it's it's about their relationships. And I think it's really, really, really well written and beautifully performed. And Diana, all I all I will say is I went with a friend of mine who uh, was thrilled that I had asked him because he's a connoisseur of horrendously bad musicals. Um, he was, he had gone uh, with a group to see dance of the vampires and uh, they were laughing so much at, uh, you know, during the show, mm -hmm. but not alone, you know, with the mm -hmm. rest of, with the rest of the audience as well, uh, that at intermission, one of the ushers came to them and said, Mr. Crawford has requested that you stop laughing. <laughs> mm, I would think you'd throw him out. Can you imagine? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's so he was very disappointed in Diana in a way because he really liked it. <laughs> and I I did, too. I, uh, you know, I uh, perhaps it was partly that you know, we had heard mm -hmm. such horrendous, horrendous things. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was disrespectful to her or anyone else except maybe the people of the press. Uh, you know, who and certainly in a story about Diana, we can understand why that might be. Um, I think they did make some changes. There were a couple of really, really bad lyrics uh, that people had been quoting from the uh, from the Netflix or Netflix or whatever. The, what what platform was it on? I think so. Uh, Netflix, yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Uh, people had been quoting from that, and I think and those have been changed. I I. 99% sure there was one line in the AIDS uh, hospice scene um, that is not there anymore. I'm happy to say, and little things like that can make a big difference. Um, I, I, I didn't think hardly any of it was cringeworthy, really, really none of it. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really, uh, you know, once you just accept that it's a pop rock musical about mm -hmm. diana mm -hmm. and you know that it's not going to be tremendously in, in depth it's just an entertainment but i I, do, I don't think it's disrespectful and i really i really enjoyed it uh-huh i i i not sure if i said this uh, uh privately or on the air um but so many people have come to the defense of uh of diana apparently that, 
that uh, have said that it it is uh, not as bad as everybody else is making it out to be, and that there's some things that are uh, that are worthy of um, of a, of a good look. Well, um, you may recall I started by saying I do not understand the hatred right. for this show. You did. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't me. Did. Maybe it was you that said that. Ah. <laughs> Could it but be? I would say it's 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 better than not as bad as you've heard. It's mm-hmm. much it's mm-hmm. much better than that. It's quite good if you just take it for what it is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not the kind of writing you'd find in a in a Sondheim show, you know. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. doesn't pretend to be. So anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, that is a Diana the Musical at the Long Acre, uh, now and forever. Mm-hmm. So maybe <laughs> <laughs> Peter, you got down to out of the box theatrics uh, production of Baby, and uh, tell us what you thought about that. Well, uh, Baby uh, opened thirty eight years ago this week mm-hmm. at the Barrymore Theater, and now it's a theater lab, a tiny, tiny, tiny little space um, on Thirty Seventh Street, uh, close to Ninth Avenue. And um, it's like uh, football stadium state, uh, seating. You're on uh, each side of the uh, stage. The stage is in the middle. So um, now I cannot mention anybody but Julia Murney because I have to say that um, we didn't get playbills and um, I, I didn't do my homework. Really? And, and, and no, um, and, you know, virtual playbills. And I haven't done that yet. So I apologize to the rest of the cast because they're all terrific. So. Um, it's one thing to say that um, the, the young couple, uh, Lizzie and Danny, it's one thing to say, oh, uh, they're being so trendy by having uh, her be legally blind, not blind, but legally blind, and him being legally deaf. Yeah, and you say, oh, all right, so they want to tie into the disability thing. The actress is legally blind. The actor is legally deaf. It's amazing. You know, I said to Richard Maltby, um, maybe you should reverse it because the kid's supposed to be a musician. And he said, no, uh, he's actually um, <laughs> legally deaf and you'd never know it. He is terrific. So she, um, they're all wonderful. Anyway, um, for those who don't know, baby, it's about three couples of three different ages, 20s, 30s and 40s, who um, each find out that they're going to have a baby, um, except the one in their 30s finds out, oh, it was a false positive, and they are devastated because they want this so much. Um, They definitely want to be parents, and it just breaks their hearts when they find out that um, it's not going to happen. What's very smart about Sybil Pearson's book is the fact that all three couples meet in the waiting room of the um, doctors, and so Mm -hmm. as a result, they bond. So that's a wonderful thing. You know, you meet them one by one, but then you see them all together and say, oh, this is great. You know, they're going to bond. So so the couple now that, that can't conceive is now a lesbian couple. And I think it's a smart idea to make them lesbians as opposed to gays, because after all, we are dealing with conception here and it would be an, an adoption thing. And I will admit that maybe some of the motivation was that a lot of the lyrics didn't have to be changed. Uh, Richard Maltby's excellent lyrics. Oh, they're so smart. And the music by David Shire is just so tuneful. Um, it's 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 a great cast album anyway. Um, so um, the third couple is um, in their 40s. And wow, this came as a surprise to them. And uh, whoa, what's this going to be like? So um, the musical doesn't necessarily have happy endings for um, everybody. And depending on your outlook, um, it may not have happy endings for um, anybody. But but nevertheless, um, the fact that these couples bond 
is really quite nice. And when the first baby is born, it's so nice to see the other four people in the waiting room being so excited to see when that baby comes out um, and when the mother brings out the baby. And um, it, it, it's just such a lovely moment. Uh, again, a terrific, terrific score. Uh, such great ideas for songs. Okay, let me give you two examples. One is called Fatherhood Blues. And <laughs> it, it talks about the fact that when indeed you know you're going to have a baby, you do panic a little. You know, oh my God, <laughs> uh, the money. The, uh, James is laughing from recognition. Yes. You know, I'm, yes. And I've gone through it too, you remember. So, uh, yeah, that you panic and think, where's the money going to come from? Oh my God, our lives are going to change. Oh, oh uh, you know, uh, Mike Berbiglia's show, you know, where his wife said nothing is going to change. <laughs> <laughs> and then you hear about everything that changed, you know, but uh, as a guy, as sexist as this may sound, you feel proud that you could do it, you know, and that's the message of fatherhood blues. Um, the other song that's so smart is easier to love talking about the fact that um, kids are easier to love than your spouse um, because uh, he gives good examples. He says, you know, kids want to hear the same story night after night. Try that with your wife. Try repeating the same story again. And she'll say, you told me that already, you know, and to be fair, <laughs> it works the other way around. I mean, it's, a man sings the song in the show, but uh, I am sure that many times wives have told the same story and the husband have had to say, you told me that before. Um, so, um, so those are just two examples of terrific ideas for songs from Richard Malpe Jr. Um, his father was in the arts as well. And um, so a, a tiny production. And I have a feeling that even though it's so tiny, that they too have Broadway aspirations. Um, I will say this in Ken Mandelbaum's magnificent book, Not Since Carrie, he does say, uh, and the show is utterly heterosexual, which was a problem for some musical theater fans. And I understand that point of view as well. And afterwards, Richard Mopey and I talked and he said, you know, it was so interesting that uh, when the show came out in 1983, that indeed uh, he said, I, I found from so many gay friends, you know, some said, I, I just don't care. You know, I mean, um, this is not something that's involved in my life at all. Uh, and he said, but other gay men said, you know, I I wish I could relate to this. I wish I could have a child. I really would love to have that experience. And of course, since 1983, many men who are gay have had that experience. And um, so uh, I, I do think that times have changed. They always do. And uh, the time might be right for baby. And I hope it is because I really think it's a top-notch score and believe me the book scenes which um seem to have been revamped a little they crackle mm -hmm. and um so um so i have nothing but a rave for baby i have to share quickly what liz calloway posted on facebook did you guys see this uh i saw no. some postings from her i don't know this was the original lizzie that's right. And she uh, uh, so she said on this, the 38th anniversary of baby opening on Broadway, I thought I'd share a little story about when Sondheim and Hal Prince saw baby. Yeah, um, this is a funny story. Apparently yeah. in previews. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they saw it. And then a few days before we opened, I arrived at the Barrymore Theater and the doorman handed me two envelopes addressed to me, one from Sondheim and one from Hal Prince. I opened Steve's first quote. I don't care what happened. Hal said you were great in the show. Steve. <laughs> then, then I opened Hal's. I don't care what Steve said. You were great in the show. Hal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because, of course, they had both worked with her in uh, Merrily We Roll. Roll Along. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. That is really, really funny. I've, ne I've never heard that one before. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, that is Baby. 
and uh, the Out of Theatrics production of it that is running for just another week. Uh, as Peter mentioned, small uh, small uh, house, so hard to get tickets, but uh, get them if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned uh, that Porgy and Bess was back at the Metropolitan Opera, and you wanted to talk about things that brought tears to your eyes. So is oh. Porgy and Bess one of them? Yeah, it was. I mean, there's been so many of those lately. I, I think uh, obviously a lot of it has to do with the pandemic, but just so many things and so many resonances between different different things. Uh, you know, I mean, just the rent and tick tick boom, mm-hmm. uh, all of the all of the stuff tied in with that. Uh, so seeing uh, seeing tick tick boom uh, and and uh, knowing you know uh, how it is a, all a precursor to rent and how all of that happened before rent even came to be uh, watching that movie was amazing. Um, oh, I recently saw, got to see a, a bootleg of um, is there life after high school? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, which was a show I really loved, which should have run longer, uh, much, much longer. And uh, it's, it's a very nostalgic and moving show anyway. Uh, but also in the cast is Alma Cuervo. Yeah, right. Who I just saw on stage right. <laughs> in Mornings at Seven. Um, so that was very moving. Um, Porgy and Bess uh, is one of, I think, is a masterpiece, and I've, I've loved it forever. And as I mentioned, I uh, got to hold the original score, <laughs> the original no, yeah, auto- auto- autograph score, yeah. uh, you know, in Gershwin's own hand. Mm. Uh, I got to hold it mm. and look through it at the Library of Congress a couple of years ago. So that, uh, you know, just really does my heart good that this, that this work perseveres, uh, even though it's controversial in many ways. Um, did either of you guys see the Tony Bennett Lady Gaga concert? No, no, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's his, it was his last performance. Mm. Um, he was to have gone on after that. And I actually had tickets to see him at Staten Island oh. uh, like a, a month later, but they decided, really? no, we're, we're going to go out while he can still do it. And wow. Lady Gaga comes across as an abs- absolute angel on the uh, uh, 60 Minutes did a, a, a piece on this yeah. before the thing mm-hmm. aired. And she really, you know, she just really stood by him and helped him in every way. And uh, there were several show tunes in the, in the actual concert, luck be a lady. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, is from a show it's from Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show Paris by Cole mm-hmm. Porter from 1920. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the lady is a tramp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love for Sale, another mm-hmm. Cole Porter from mm-hmm. 1930, The New Yorkers, mm-hmm. and Anything Goes. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I mean, I've known Tony Bennett since my parents had the I Left My San Francisco album, mm-hmm. which I first mm-hmm. probably heard when I was five years old, uh, is, which is when it came out. And so, and then the new West Side Story movie and, and all of the things tied in with that. Um, we had heard that Harvey Evans was in it, and he's actually credited in it as the gimbal security guard but apparently apparently he didn't he's not in it he was going to do it and then he couldn't uh, at the last moment because he wasn't up to it physically uh but that role apparently is played by david bean who was another one of the original jets Um, so so there is that resonance and of course rita moreno Mm. and it's just uh, all of these things are happening that are just um 
so wonderfully this just mm. really bringing me to tears mm. uh it's an it's an incredible time we're living in and, and that yes. we just lived through yes, and, and of course it's not over, over yet, yet but, yeah you know, um so mm. that's all i had to say it's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of overwhelming sometimes and uh you were also going to talk about the book the art of bob mackey by uh, yeah yeah get your hands on this it's a beautiful book it's almost 300 pages uh, and it's every page is in full color, uh, hundreds, I almost want to say thousands of photos and costume renderings, etc. cetera. Uh, the book was written by our friend Frank Vlasnik and Laura Ross. It's got a foreword by Carol Burnett. It's got an afterword by Cher. Um, anyone who loves the work of Bob Mackie, who was a guest on our podcast not very long ago, mm-hmm. should really get a copy of this and it's only 50 bucks did i say that no, um, no and these days and for a book of that scope that's really exactly yeah. usually they're like 60 or 75 oh. no <laughs> this is every bit worth 50 and it would, would even be worth 60 or 75 mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. uh but you get it it's just incredibly gorgeous all right so that wraps it up for this morning before i get on to trivia and the musical moment i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com there's a subscribe link that way each and every time we have a new episode of this week on broadway it'll be automatically downloaded to apple podcasts for you because you don't have to listen to us on apple Podcasts. there's many ways to get us spotify iHeartRadio, TuneIn, stitcher google play anywhere that you can listen to find our podcasts you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to trivia from two weeks two ago? Two weeks ago, right, yeah. Take the name of a Steven Spielberg movie, not West Side Story. <laughs> do a little switching within the title, and you'll come up with the title of a famous composer's lyricist's final musical, The Closed Out of Town. Well, the Spielberg Spielberg movie is his 1979 film called 1941. Switch the two numbers in the middle and you get 1491, a musical by Meredith Wilson about Columbus, which closed in California in uh, 1969. By the way, you know how this happened? Um, I've written a new book, which I just turned in um, called uh, the Broadway musical book of debates, disputes and disagreements. And I was typing 1491 but it came out 1941 i mean i I made a typo so that's how this question originated um otherwise i would have uh, used it another week okay apparently paul witty's vacation did him a lot of good because he returned from jamaica tanned and rested ready to go answering the question only six minutes after our podcast ended he was followed by tony janicki who got a late start because he was in new york seeing shows now Paul Witte this week is going to get a late start because he and Michelle were in New York seeing shows. In fact, they sat next to me at Mrs. Doubtfire. So then came Brigadu, Jack Leshner, Josh Israel, Warren Jones, Ingrid Gammerman, Jeff Hickman, and Greg Christensen. This week's question. If you looked at the window card or the original Broadway cast album of this two-month flop, not the off-Broadway revival cast album, mind you, but only the original Broadway cast album, you just might, might assume from the logo that the show had a six-word title and not a four-word title. <laughs> What's the show? What's the explanation? Okay, if you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, our opening music was Ansel Elgort and Rachel Zegler. Uh, singing tonight from the 
wonderful, magnificent new film version of West Side Story. And for the closing, I thought uh, we would do um, offer something a little off the beaten path. I, when we were talking about Sondheim's passing uh, uh, you know, a week ago or whenever that was, um, it occurred to me that he was such a titanic figure that some artists graduated to his music and lyrics that you might not think would have done so. Uh, for example, Frank Sinatra, um, apparently, uh, I wasn't sure of the timeline, but Scott Siegel recently did a show at 54 Below, and he mentioned that Sinatra recorded Send in the Clowns before Judy Collins. Hmm. Uh, oh, and- I didn't know that. Yeah, and Judy Collins, who, by the way, is going to be a town hall yeah, I very that. soon. So yeah. I kind of think she's probably going to sing Send in the Cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. um, so he recorded that, uh, and he also recorded Good Thing Going from Merrily mm-hmm. Lee, Roll Along. Um, Barbara Streisand, I think, got to Sondheim pretty late in life. I don't think it was still her Broadway album. Before that, I don't even know if she recorded anything from Gypsy or West Side Story. Um, so she's another one. Our, our friend Petula Clark, um, who was on our, our podcast not that long ago, uh, also, I think, late in life. And uh, the last time I saw her perform live, as I mentioned, was at a Sondheim tribute at, uh, at Alice Tully Hall. Uh, so uh, those, uh, and then there's another example, uh, two more examples, Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett who, uh, for one thing, both starred in putting it together, the Sondheim Mm -hmm. Review at one point, but also way back in 1962 uh, at their Carnegie Hall uh, concert together, which was their first uh, concert that they did together, they did a history of musical comedy medley, a fairly long medley, and it ended up with Julie and Carol singing A Boy Like That, I Have a Love from West Side Story. Uh, so we, uh, we're ending with uh, the audio of that. But I've also sent James the link. Uh, the whole special is on YouTube. And you can, see, you can see it. You can see it done visually as well. And actually, it's two different takes because the album uh, was a studio recording uh, for technical purposes. It's not the live performance from Carnegie Hall. Um, so you can compare those two and, and see what you get. But really, really great to, uh, to see and hear Julie Andrews and Carol Burnett as uh, uh, Maria and Anita. And by the way, the musical director of that evening was Erwin Kostel, who was also the musical director of the 1961 uh, film of West Side Story, which had come out about a year before this Carnegie Hall concert. All right, there's a gem, and that's going to take up most of my Sunday now. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. boy like that, kill your brother, forget that boy and find another, one of your own kind, stick to your own kind. A boy like that wants one thing only, and when he's done, he'll leave you lonely, he'll murder your love, he murdered mine, just wait and see, just wait Maria, just wait and see. No, it isn't true, not for me. 
could know better. You were in love, or so you said. You should know better. strong 